the big names you know, the other guys you've never heard of, until now. This is Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Nest as we go Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. I'm Jesse Goldberg's Jasper with the Lansing Lugnuts. We are going to go up the dial. We're going to start with the Dunedin Blue Jays and their voice, Jim Tarabokia. But before I bring in Jim, there are a couple of important things to go over because we've got the jobs that we have in terms of radio broadcasters and also media relations in the system. One of those things is transactions, which get reported by members of the media. However, we can't discuss, we don't know sometimes, until those transactions are made absolutely public and official. So, for example, I'll get emails saying, this transaction, which I did not know previously that, it is now official, send it around, and then there's a new official roster to send around. So, there was news that broke last night that Riley Adams and Nate Pearson are getting promoted. Nothing official has come out. Nothing has been told to us. And so we continue on as because in our world, they remain right where they are with the Dunedin Blue Jays. And let me bring in Jim right now. Jim, let's talk about your DJs. And let's begin just in terms of this past week. What was your favorite story from this past week? Sure, yeah. I, I think my favorite story from this past week was the fact that um, we managed to um, take two of three from Daytona in what was a, um, a an official home series at Jackie Robinson Ballpark um, after taking uh, four straight in Jupiter. And, um, uh, you know, we've had a couple of tough losses this year against Daytona, but every time we've bounced back, I mean, when we had that tough walk-off loss last week, um, against Daytona, we swept Jupiter. And then we had that tough loss um, on um, uh, Tuesday uh, where we lost 8-7, uh, to seven, and we bounced right back and won the next two games. So um, I think my favorite story is watching us um, just as a team um, be resilient and, and pick up uh, some wins after um, uh, a couple of tough losses and at times when our backs have been up against the wall. You know, our, our lead was trimmed to just a half a game, and, first place in the FSL North standings, but um, um, we have ex- expanded it now after uh, winning, what is it now, uh, four, five, six, uh, six of the last seven. Um, it's now up to four and a half games, so I think those, those two stories really are, are my favorite from the week. You have a number of players who are on the prospect radar, and Riley and Nate are two among them. Uh, however, it's those other players who I got to see in Lansing last year who I'm enjoying watching how they're doing it. And I'll throw a couple of them at you. How have Turner Larkins sure, sure. and Graham Spraker been for your DJs? Yeah, Turner has really accepted his role well. I mean, he's at times been a starter. He's been piggybacking. He, uh, you know, who knows? Down the road, he could be a starter again. He may still piggyback. Um, but I, I'm enjoying watching watching these guys just accept their roles, and I'm watching them um, go out there uh, when they're getting the opportunity, and go out and succeed, and make their pitches, and make the proper adjustments that they need to. And, and I think that's a you know, and, and I think that's a big thing with this club right now, is the fact that guys are going out there and accepting their roles, whatever that may be in the batting order and the position wise, and they're 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 doing their jobs. And I, I go back to a couple of weeks ago in Lakeland when Graham Spraker worked his way out of a bases loaded jam when he didn't have his best stuff on a relief for Nate Pearson um, in the sixth inning when the game uh, ultimately could have been lost right there for the Blue Jays. 
uh, with the tying and go-ahead runs aboard, and this breaker on the road got out of it. So it's those type of things that, you know, those two guys are doing and, and, and pretty much everybody on the club right now is doing um, as to why we are where we are um, and, and why we registered the most wins in April since um, 2014. Two weeks ago, we talked about Nick Allgaier. Last week we didn't, and somebody immediately commented saying, hey, what about Nick Allgaier? So a question posted on Bluebird Banter this week. They were asking about Spraker, Larkins, but also Allgaier, Maximo Castillo. Let's talk about Nick Allgaier, shall we? Yeah, Nick, um, first, uh, Jim Sikowski told me this, our pitching coach. Uh, Nick's doing great in his first full season in uh in professional baseball and uh he got a little bit stronger uh from what i've heard over the winter uh and again he's not a guy who might blow you away uh, he'll touch 94 but he won't blow you away but boy is he consistent and and he, is he a guy who has uh, at times some some pinpoint command and control so that's been the key uh success really for al Geyer. and it's not easy jumping from where he jumped to this level here the advanced state level and sometimes this level as you know uh really separates um the men from the boys if you will and al Geyer is, is really doing just fine he's a guy who you expect every fifth day when he goes out there in the rotation to give you a quality start and give your team a chance to win we close things this is the very first show in may and so every single time we come to it the end of a month we name our player and pitcher of the month. So for Dunedin, who is your Dunedin April pitcher and Dunedin April position player of the month? Well, um, I think I think looking at the, the, the pitcher, that might, might surprise you a little bit. Um, but it's Kyle Weatherly, actually, a reliever and a guy who um, goes out there and, and, you know, he may give up a hit or two, but... I mean, he holds teams scoreless, and they started the, the year registering four consecutive holds in some um, in tough situations. So he's my pitcher of the of the month. Um, I go with Nate Pearson. That's an easy one, but I'm trying to think outside the box. <laughs> and um, uh, I think for the hitter of the month, that's a tough one, uh, Jesse. You know, I'll tell you why. Because, you know, we've, we've had guys like now, Cal Stevenson starting to really pick it up. Ryan Noda, who's, who's – um, registered, I think, six RBIs in his last seven games. Um, uh, Riley Adams, obviously, um, is somebody who, who uh, you know, he leads the FSL in virtually every advanced metric. Same thing with Cohen Large, who had a 20-game on base streak, unfortunately ended because he went home for two in a pinch in appearance. But, uh, I mean, he's now reached base safely. I think now uh, it is, um, I want to say, 20, 24 of the last 25 games. And he met, uh, advanced metrically is um, right there uh, atop uh, many statistical categories in the FSL. So I'm going to have to – it's tough to really name one. I guess if I had to go with one, it would be Cullen because of that on-base streak and uh, how the fact that he's really come out of nowhere and in in virtually in a way um, and is now batting right in the middle of this Dunedin order and he's producing every night. So he'd be my uh, – a group of guys, but uh, just to be specific, he'd be my, my, um, uh, my, my hitter of the month. Find Jim Tarabokio on Twitter at Jim Tara, and he's the voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays, the Blue Jays' A-advanced affiliate in the Florida State League, the first place voice in the Florida State League for yes, the Toronto sir. Blue Jays. Yes, sir. Jim, thank you Four very much. Yeah, thank baby. You, thank you. 
This is Around the Nest, and as you just heard, we will be awarding our monthly winners this week, the position players and the pitchers of the week, naming at every single level. From Dunedin right on up, you'll hear from New Hampshire, you'll hear from Buffalo as well, and we'll check in with my co-broadcaster with the Lansing Lugnuts, Adam Jaxa, too. And at the end of today's show, I've got an interview scheduled for you with Jordan Groshans. But let's go right up to the major league level right now. Let me bring in Scott MacArthur. Scotty Mack, we had you at the very start of the year, now a month of the season. We are in. First, how are you, sir? Scott has dropped. We're trying to get him in. He called. He was dropped. He called back. We'll see if we can get Scott involved. Uh, but while we have this opportunity, let me bring in Adam Jackson with my single-A Lansing lug nuts. Adam, how is everything with you? Everything's going great. Jesse can't complain. So for you, your single-A Lansing Lugnuts, who is your position player of the month? I think i got to go with Jordan Groshen. He's uh, top five in the Midwest League, and he's been injured this, this past week, um, so I haven't seen him in a couple of games, but still his numbers as a 19-year-old really stand out. He had high expectations coming into his debut with the Lugnuts. He's batting over 340, and Jesse, he's been the most consistent batter for Lansing, just his pure, smooth swing that he's got. A couple home runs. We've seen his opposite power, um, 13 driven in this year. He's been able to draw 11 walks as well. Um, and then he's flashed a couple of nice plays. He has had some errors at the shortstop position, but he's also gotten a lot better from when we opened on April 4th to now here in the, in the first week of May. So I think Jordan Groshen, the first-round draft pick last year for the Toronto Blue Jays has been everything that we expected and more, and excited to see what he continues to do and how he grows as we move on in the season. But I'm going to give him the position player of the month for the Lansing Lugnuts. Let me check back in, Adam. Hang tight. I think that Scott MacArthur has rejoined us. Scott, are you there? I believe my cell phone is working, Jesse. We'll keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, so we'll get back to single-A Lansing, Buffalo, New Hampshire. Everyone can hang tight. Scott, let's talk about where the Blue Jays are right now. A month later, we're going to go through the state of the Blue Jays. We'll name a Blue Jays position player, pitcher of the month of April. First things first, we begin with Vladdy. He's been up for a week. Your thoughts so far? Oh, man. Um, I, I haven't seen buzz inside that stadium for uh, – uh, Friday night, April game in definitely recent memory. And I know that they didn't have 48,000 butts in the seats last Friday night when Vladdy debuted, but there were about 28, about 10 more, 10,000 more than they've been averaging on Friday nights, the early part of this season. And people were, people were understandably excited. They were giving him standing ovations when, uh, an Oakland athletic would hit a dribbler foul to the, to the third base side and Vladdy would pick it up and flip the ball into the seats. Uh, they gave him a standing ovation. The people who showed up, the gates opened an hour early, 4.30 Eastern last Friday, so that people could watch his batting practice. And they gave him a standing ovation when he squared around a bunt a couple of times his first turn in the cage. So, I mean, they, they're thrilled he's here. I would say the performance so far uh, he's a young man, and big league pitching is a step or three or five above even AAA pitching. And and the one thing Vladdy has is a great eye, and I think he's gone out of the strike zone a lot. 
and that's probably because he's been a little jumpy. And who wouldn't be at 20 years old? Very excited. And all the media stuff that's gone on. I mean, his first home series is in the books. Then he goes on the road for the first time and plays in a stadium and a city in which his father starred and, and plays a team for which his father is wearing their cap in the Hall of Fame as we speak and will forever. So a lot has been going on with this young man. And I think he just needs a little time to settle, to take a couple of deep breaths. And once he starts forcing pitchers into the strike zone uh, and, and capitalizes on the mistakes that they make in particular in the strike zone, we're going to see the Vladdy that we all know is there. But it's, it's only a week. It's only five games. Anybody who's antsy about it just needs to chill. He's going to be great. Do you feel that this is the start of the second chapter of the Blue Jays' 2019 season, or have we already seen several chapters leading up to this? Well, it's definitely the start of the second chapter, and and I would say that we have more chapters to go. Um, you know, what what are the decisions that are going to be made about getting – Kevin Biggio up here and when is that going to be I've advocated that it should have happened already what are they going to do and they don't have to make these decisions this year because both are controlled through the end of next season but what are they going to do with Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez and can they assure themselves in the likelihood because I believe it's far better than 50-50 that they trade both at some point can they assure themselves that the return is is going to acquit itself on both counts because if you spend the next seven or eight years trying to reincarnate a marcus stroman type or an aaron sanchez type having dealt them that's not going to be good enough you know the, the expectation for this rebuild for this plan whatever it is you want to call it is nothing short of a big league team that consistently wins year over year it isn't about having, and, and all of these things help, but it is not about having the, the best minor league facility in Dunedin and rehab facility. Those things help. But whatever those things are, and whoever it is that is, is, is coming up through the pipeline, and whoever it is that is one of the 25 wearing active roster uniforms for the Toronto Blue Jays need to be contributing to a team that is perennially contending, anything short of that takes us back to the dead two decades of uh, 1994 to 2014, and Toronto is too big a market with too high of expectations to fall back into that sort of mediocrity. We should expect more. So there are a lot of chapters to be written this year. The one that I will be watching most and Jesse am most concerned about um, in terms of interest and just being worried about it, is what comes of the Sanchez and Stroman situations. Connecting the minor leagues to the major leagues with Scott MacArthur joining me on Around the Nest. We wrap up, Scott, with you the same way that we're wrapping up with everybody else. You talked about who's contributing, so let's name a pitcher and a position player that you would like to spotlight for the month of April for their contributions in Toronto. I'll start with a pitcher, um, and uh, look, I have no, I have no problem defaulting to the obvious um, with with Marcus Stroman, the guy. And look, he struggled the other night in Anaheim, but it was May the first, Jesse. It was May the first, so we're talking <laughs> April here. He his only iffy outing was against Tampa Bay that Sunday home game in the middle of the month. 
Otherwise, he has been an absolute stud and an ace for this team. So Marcus Stroman is absolutely my April pitcher of the month. My position player of the month, I've got two, so I'll give an honorable mention. And the only reason I won't give it to Eric Sogard is because he wasn't here long enough. But Freddie Galvis deserves a ton of credit for coming in and being a guy who was getting on base every night, it seemed, for the Blue Jays. Uh, He was absolutely fantastic at the top of that order, and he settled down a a spot in the order, the leadoff spot, that was of terrific uncertainty when the season began. Justin Smoke has been terrific as well. Um, It felt like the narrative tended to be, how's your neck feeling, as opposed to uh, the great numbers that he was putting up when he was able to get into the lineup, and he really only missed four or five games. So Galvis is my guy, but honorable mentions to Sogard and Smoke. You can find him on Twitter at Scotty Mac Thinks. You can read his thoughts from the booth. We talk minors here, but when you're talking Jays talk, you're talking with Scott MacArthur. Scotty Mac, thank you very much for battling the phones and joining me. Enjoy it as always, Jesse. We'll do it again soon. That's beautiful. And from Scott MacArthur at the big league level, let's uh, go our way down. We'll check in with Adam Jackson, single A Lansing toward the end. Adam understands we're broadcast partners. We'll reminisce a little bit. Let's talk double A though. Let's talk with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats and the voice of the people, Tyler Murray. Tyler, how are you? Jesse, I'm great. I'm, I'm glad I finally get to try to follow up a big leaguer on the, uh, around the nest rotation here. This is great. Would you rather lead off or would you rather bat, I don't know, third, fourth, and drive him in? Well, I was always a nine-hitter, as you can probably guess growing up, so put me wherever you need, Jesse. You know what the nine-hitter is. That's the second leadoff man. That's what they're telling kids these days. I didn't get that angle when I was growing up. I really could have used it, though. So it's nice that the young players have that now. You remember when, was it the Chicago Cubs? Where the first team was it Joe Madden, whoever it was. The, uh, you know what? I believe it was Tony Larusa with the Cardinals who batted his pitcher eighth and the better hitter ninth. That's what you are. You're better than the pitcher. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. It's uh, exciting to have the Fisher Cats back home here, and uh, I'm sure you've seen that uh, the offense hasn't put up huge numbers, but uh, I mean the story of the year so far down here has been the terrific pitching, and it's got them back to 500. So um, it feels like a fresh start now after their first shutout win of the season yesterday. They can kind of uh, move on ahead as they're right back in that uh, playoff race. As we look back upon the week that was. Was it yesterday that stands out the most? And not just because it's clearest in your memory. You know, it's you look at their last seven games, in five of those games, they were held to exactly one run. And, of course, as I said, the first shutout came in a one nothing win yesterday, so that was the only one of those games that they won. But uh, a big outlier was Alberto Mineo's grand slam on the road trip finale. That was on Wednesday, and... I think if they drop that game, then they're certainly hanging their heads. They Even with that win, finished 2-4 and four in that six-game swing against the top two teams, or at least two teams up ahead of them in the Eastern Division, the Thunder and the Fightin' Phils. That's the Yankees and the, and the Phillies, obviously, the affiliates. So uh, a really good win to wrap up the road trip. Now they've won two in a row, and it's hopefully 
I think a lot of the guys would agree that the, the bats can keep up with, with the pitching so far because even without the, the, the news, or it sounds like we're, we're getting some uh, pretty impressive arms, or at least one of them coming up soon, uh, th- this this rotation, I'd stack it up with anybody in our league and maybe even across Double uh, A right now. For you, and think about the time that you've been there in New Hampshire and even before that, at the other levels that you've been to. Does this rotation, does the way that they're pitching right now, does it remind you of anybody from the past? Well, I'm always comparing everything to what you guys had in Lansing a few years ago, Jesse, where, I mean, you'll know exactly uh, the details better than me, but what didn't you guys have? Aaron Sanchez, Justin Nicolino, Noah Syndergaard, Anthony Disclafani, all piggybacking each other. Like That that, that sounded unfair. I, I guess we're not at the unfair <laughs> level just yet, but, uh, I mean, the, the talent night after night that you get to see and – uh, unfortunately, the only outlier, I guess you could say, is Hector Perez, who's having a little bit of uh, command issues. But uh, aside from that, um, it's been terrific every single night. And Perez is a guy who we've seen uh, be dominant when his location is on point. So I've always said that Perez is one of the guys who has one of the higher, if not the highest, ceiling among this uh, current class of pitching prospects. It's just a matter if he hits that ceiling. So we're looking forward to seeing if he can. Is he frustrated? Is there something that he's working on? Yeah, you know, he's, fortunately for him, always going to be a positive attitude kind of guy. And I don't think frustration is going to creep in for him at all. But it, they're different pitchers, but it reminds me of Sean Reed Foley where if that first pitch fastball or any kind of fastball command isn't there for him, then I guess the secondary stuff is, even though the slider is really good, it's still developing to the point where he can't consistently get those over as often as he wants to. So it, with so many pitchers at this level, it comes down to that fastball command. So I mean, he's really got to hone in on that and just build off of it because obviously his last outing is one he would absolutely love to forget the six walks and two and two-thirds innings. So uh, I think it's just going back to square one and getting that fastball over because it, uh, it can move so much on him. Joined by the voice of the people, Tyler Murray. Uh, let's talk April. Let's talk pitcher of the month, position player of the month, who would you like to spotlight? Well, let's start with position player of the month. And uh, it's been tough because both of these guys had grand slams, Jesse. But uh, I'll go with Santiago Espinal for what he's been able to do with his versatility and being a guy who I think if he didn't have a good start to this season or if he wasn't so good last year, it'd be easy to lose him in the shuffle a little bit, right, with all the terrific middle infield talent in this organization, but Espinal's really been good. 293 average is solid and leading this Fisher Cats team right now, but he just continues to produce and find ways to have an impact on games now. A six-game hitting streak for Espinal, and in two of the last three games now, he's not playing center field tonight, Jesse, but he's been out there in center, uh, something he hadn't really done aside from a, a brief experiment in the Arizona Fall League this past fall. So he's doing everything he can to help this team, and uh, that includes defensively, and you know, so far so good in center field. Let's wrap up with this, because this is a Copa de la Diversión weekend in both Lansing and in Manchester, New Hampshire. What has emerged from the jungle in New Hampshire? Oh, man. Well, we're doing the Jaguar theme, Jesse, because as you know, plenty of ancient Mesoamerican civilizations had the Jaguar as a cultural icon, and uh, uh, that's certainly a big part of our logo, the Gatos Feroces, which directly translates to ferocious cats. 
I think Fisher Cats is uh, Gatos Pescadori, so that doesn't really have that oomph. And uh, we're fortunate to have the Hartford Yard Goats in town tomorrow, and they are going to wear their uh, Los Chivos de Hartford uh, jersey. So it's going to be the Cats against the Goats, the Gatos against the Chivos, and we're uh, we're looking forward to it. We're going to have, uh, I believe, they're calling them Boston's first all-female mariachi band. going to be part of the pregame proceedings, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, fantastico. Buena suerte, Tyler Murray, uh, el comentarista, I believe I had that right. Comentarista de los, uh, well, for New Hampshire, the Fisher Cats this weekend with Copa de la Diversión. Uh, Tyler, thank you very much. Jesse, there's officially nothing you can do after that terrific El voz de la gente. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, uh, Muchas gracias, and uh, cuídate, mi amigo. Absolutely. Gracias. And from Tyler Murray in AA New Hampshire, let's go to AAA Buffalo, and let me bring in the voice of the herd, Pat Malacaro. Pat, how are you? Doing well here, Jesse. It's a little bit uh, clammy and uh, overcast. There's some fog in the distance, but uh, we are on track for baseball here tonight, so it's another good day at the ballpark. Have you called up the folks in Toronto and said, hey, stop trying to take Kevin Biggio away from us? <laughs> you know, now that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in Toronto, Bo Bichette's on the injured list, Kevin is the next one up on the list that uh, folks really want to know the most about, and we'll see him in right field again tonight. Uh, he's got a couple of tastes of right already this week, and part of it is due to the fact that Lourdes Guerrero Jr. and Richard Rainier are here. So um, the experiment, a couple of games in lower levels, eight games last year in the Arizona Fall League, and now I believe this is game number three for Kevin in right field. So he's done a little bit of everything, and uh, he's done it all pretty well to this point. Can you remember a season where your players are in such demand, and I mean promotionally in terms of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is with you, and the entire talk is when's he going up? Kevin right now, the talk is when's he going up? And when Bo Bichette comes back and is healthy, you and I both know if he produces, the talk will be when will Bo come up? Has there been anything like this in your memory? No, there really isn't. And, and going back to the days when the Bisons were affiliated with the Cleveland Indians, there were a lot of prospects. But really, I believe this is now the age of social media and um, the awareness of fans. And I mean that in a good way. You know, back when the Bisons would have prospects like Grady Sizemore, Brandon Phillips, Cliff Lee, um, even going back further than that, guys like Jarrett Wright on the Spisons team, the Internet was not as big of an informational tool for fans. MLB Pipeline was not a thing. You did not have all these different outlets. Sure, you had Baseball America, um, but you didn't have team websites to keep up really with players. So now that there is, we're in an age where you can be anywhere in the world, literally, and keep up to date with prospects, games, you know, how they did social media wise, team websites. Um, it really has enhanced the ability of fans to know who players are and the ability for them to see just how they're doing. So it, it makes it a lot easier to, to figure out that information. Whereas back in you know the late nineties and even the early two thousands, fans knew who players were, but they didn't. So in, in a lot of ways that has made it a, a lot easier. And that's, I, I really feel a reason why we get, a lot more of those questions is because people can see them a lot more easily. Something that was an annual tradition, something that's not new, 
was whenever Ben Wagner would join the show, I would let him hold forth about how much he hated double headers. Have you already gotten your fill of double headers this year? Uh, I am not. Uh, this is one case where Ben and I kind of disagree. Um, look, there are a nature of the beast here in the minors, and sure, they're not uh, always the most fun thing to do. I've done one already this season. Um, it's something I know that, that a lot of broadcasters throughout the league do uh, elsewhere. Uh, I had to do one solo already. So um, they're not fun. They, they take up a lot of energy, a lot of work, but um, I don't despise them as much as my friend does uh, up in Toronto. So, um, now, you know, maybe the joke's on him because last year he had one in Cleveland, and I think they hold the dubious distinction of having the longest uh, day uh, at the ballpark between their time in Cleveland last year. So um, I know he's th- those were a bane of his existence, but for me uh, – I just roll with the punches. They're in the nature of the beast. <laughs> what else stood out to you when you look back upon the past week's worth of games? I was looking back at the doubleheader you just had the other day. Uh, was there any moment that really stood out in your memory? Well, I mean, Lourdes Correa Jr. Is, is proving that his hitting is far superior than uh, AAA. And we saw that last year in the big leagues with his multi-hit performances um, right before he uh, sprained his ankle against the White Sox late in that game in August. So um, for him to be now at 21 RBIs in less than 20 games uh, just, just goes to show you how, how good of a player he is. It'll, it's just a matter of time before he goes back up to the big leagues because of his defense. Uh, he's getting that straightened out. Um, and honestly, you know, one thing I, I didn't mention is that I don't think I've ever had a situation before where all five games of a series were played uh, in seven inning contests. So that was a unique one. You always find something new at the ballpark, either on a daily basis or on a yearly basis. And I, I doubt I will have another five-game series where all five games were scheduled seven innings because of uh, doubleheaders. Wow. And lastly, with Pat Malacaro with the Buffalo Bisons, your players of the month, your position player, your pitcher of the month for April, who would, like, uh, who would you like to award? Well, I think position player-wise, uh, we talked about Kevin Biggio and his ability to play multiple positions, leading the team offensively of qualified players with a better than 350 batting average, 18 RBI, six home runs, um, doing everything offensively that's been needed and uh, defensively has been very steady as well. So I think in terms of position player-wise, you have to start there. And on the mound, Jacob Pack went on opening day through a quality start and He's the only starter right now that has two wins. And if it wasn't for Ryan Fearbend yesterday, he would have been the only Bison starter with a quality start. Uh, and he was the only one with that through the first month of the season. So for Waggis Pack, a guy who's on the 40-man roster and got some big league time in spring training, he has performed very well. And I think uh, Waggis Pack would definitely be my choice for pitcher of the month. All right, beautiful. Pat Malacaro, the voice of the herd, at PatWGR on Twitter, findandbisons.com. Pat, thank you very much. Thanks, Jesse. I can't wait to tell Ben that I buried him in doubleheaders, so I'm looking forward to that text message in a couple of seconds. (laughs) I doubt it, but that would be hilarious. Thank you, Pat Malacaro. Let me bring back in Adam Jaxa with my single-A Lansing lug nuts, whom you heard earlier on the podcast. Adam, I believe that you gave your position player of the month of April. So I don't think you gave your pitcher of the month. Is that right? 
That is right, Jesse. And there's a couple of starters that I could pick here. We could go with Josh Winkowski or Joey Murray, who just became the uh, Midwest League strikeouts leader last night with his 40th as he racked up seven against Wisconsin in the series finale. But I'm going to go a different route and look to the bullpen and talk about the undrafted Jackson Reese. The 24-year-old has been terrific. The right-hander from California, Jesse, as we know, uh, he has been so good, an ERA of zero, hasn't allowed a run, only has given up six hits in his 13 innings. And how about this rate? 23 strikeouts and just one walk. Jackson Reese, a guy that the Blue Jays picked up after last year's draft had ended. Uh, he's a guy that went to multiple colleges, saddleback, then transferred to Hawaii. He had multiple injuries throughout his collegiate career. And now here he is. So far, fingers crossed, he stayed healthy through the first month of the season, and he's really showed us, one, that he can throw strikes, and that he's extremely difficult to swing off of. So Jackson Reese, a standout that I don't think you or I saw coming, but I think he's been the pitcher of the month. Let's go back over this past week's worth of games. Uh, Adam was not with me as the Lansing Lugnuts went to Bowling Green, Kentucky. The Lugnuts lost three out of four games there, although Josh Winkowski did combine with Jackson Reese on a shutout, and Reggie Pruitt made what might be to this point the defensive play of the year. The pitch, fly to right field, Neal comes plugging in, and called off, Reggie Pruitt makes a diving catch! Reggie! Out of nowhere from center field, laying out in and to his left. He went Superman style in front of the right fielder, DJ Neal, and that was spectacular. So Reggie Pruitt showing off defensively, offensively, and on the base, uh, perhaps he's been outstanding. The Lugnuts came back home. Adam rejoined me for the homestand. Lansing did not play all that well in the first couple of games against Wisconsin. And then yesterday, Adam, boy, did the offense wake up. Well, I got to stop you first. You're making me look bad. I should have gone with Reggie Pruitt for my pick of uh, player of the month. Uh, he definitely would have been honorable mention, though. He's done everything, Jesse. Um, yesterday, the offense, it was much needed. You're talking about the, the third game. Lugnuts able to salvage it against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And through the first two games of the series, um, we had a suspension in the first game, so we played kind of a half-and-half doubleheader uh, just a couple of nights ago. But then yesterday, after they had only combined for 10 total hits through the first two games of the series, they come out with 12 hits, they scored 10 runs, and really put the pressure on against the Timber Rattlers since that fourth inning. You go to the fourth inning where they put up three runs, two off the bat of D.J. Neal, who launched one to left center, 20-foot wall here at Cooley Law School Stadium. He cleared that with ease. They took the lead. And then they just kept on putting the pressure and being aggressive. They would score in the fifth, sixth, and the seventh, followed by the eighth. Wouldn't have to come up in the bottom of the ninth. But those were the type of offensive at-bats that we had got accustomed to just over the last week before this skid started happening. Um, so that's what I'm looking for more. Can they get that one through nine consistency, which every team's looking to get that throughout every night. But that's what we saw again last night. Uh, there was production from the top of the order, but specifically it was the bottom of the order. And you have to start with D.J. Neal. I mean, he was batting fifth last night. He looked really confident at the plate of late. Uh, had a two-home run night just a week ago. Followed that up with his third home run last night. He goes three for three, scores four runs, steals two bases, 
and he walks a couple of times as well. So essentially on base five times in his five plate appearances, he certainly set the tempo for last night's big offensive outpouring, and they really needed it, and hopefully it helps them get going as they finish up this weekend at home against the Beloit Snappers. We started off this pod talking about what we can and we can't say. Uh, one thing that we can talk about, for example, is roster moves after they happen, they become official. Well, something that has become official, outfielder Tanner Kerwer has been transferred to the Lansing Lugnuts from extended spring. And also, Alejandro Kirk, the Lansing Lugnuts catcher, has been transferred from Lansing up to Dunedin. So, Adam, let me ask you about Alejandro. Who are the DJs getting with Mr. Kirk? Well, they're getting an extremely fun player to watch and a guy with a great personality. Jesse, he's, he's a big guy that we've talked about, the starting catcher for the Lugnuts, uh, 250 pounds and just 5'9", but you wouldn't expect him to be as nimble as he's shown at times this year, but he can move. <laughs> he beat out an infield single earlier in the season. He stole home earlier in the season. A couple of nights ago, he liked out a, a triple that he sent off the 23-foot wall in right field here at Cooley Law School Stadium. And last night, on a wild pitch, he was standing at third base, read it, and the ball, it was one of those where it flipped off the catcher's mitts and probably went four or five feet behind the catcher. He just couldn't find it. Alejandro decided that was enough to get away so that he could get home. He came in sliding safely, beat the tag. So on top of the kind of deceptive speed that he may have, He's also got really big pop in his bat, as expected. He can turn on those balls really quickly. We saw him hit some line drives right down the third base side, uh, pulling his hands really quick at the plate. He looks smooth uh, when he's in the batter's box on the right side. And then the other thing, too, just off top of mind here, I believe he only has eight strikeouts on the season, and I think it's like 16 or 17 walks. He's the only lug nut to this point that hasn't struck out uh, you know, more than 10 times, and he leads this team and walks as well. So his eye at the plate is tremendous. His personality is great, and he's just all around a fun guy to watch. So I think Dunedin is going to have a lot of fun with him, and if he gets the time that is expected once he gets there, they're going to be really happy with their catcher. All right. Looking forward to it. Something else, and this is just an aside, so we can discuss transactions when they become official, just in letting you know what happens. Something that we can't really talk about, and I'll tell you why, are injuries. Uh, Josh Winkowski was placed on the injured list earlier this week. Today we learn that Jordan Groshans is being placed on the injured list as well. And so why can't we talk about the injuries? Well, unless the guy approves us to. If we talk to Josh and Josh says, all right, it's okay, you can discuss it. But otherwise, it's a private matter for the player and the team. So just to forestall any questions that we might get via Bluebird banter, via Twitter, via whatever you might have with people saying, hey, what's up? Well, for Adam, for myself, and for other, the other folks in the system, it's just best for us to make sure that the players are right with it, but otherwise it's confidential as medical information can be. That's at the very least where we come down on our side in terms of media relations. Adam, let's wrap up with this. Anything else from that you've seen recently over the course of the Lansing Lugnuts games that you're saying, let me spotlight this that might have gone under the radar? Well, I think one guy to look out for, Jesse, that may have had a, a bit of a slower start that started to turn it on. I, I would give you two guys. 
Uh, first off, Nick Podcool out of Notre Dame. He's in his first season with the Lansing Lugnuts. We saw him for the first time this weekend. You specifically at Bowling Green. He's moved up in the lineup. Uh, he hit as high as second. He was in the uh, he was in the cleanup spot yesterday. He had a three for three night the other day where he had a double and a couple of singles. He has become really good at the plate and started to find his confidence. So he's a guy that I'm going to continue to keep an eye on because he's been pretty solid in the field as well. They've been able to put him at second or third base, but. He started a little bit slower, just like some of the guys will typically do, uh, especially with transitioning to a new team and new professional level and with those colder temperatures up here in the Midwest. So look out for Nick Podcool. And the other one that has really started to just play well all around for me has been Jake Broat. I mean, in the field at first base, we've talked about it before, but his defense that he's worked on uh, prior to his time coming to Lansing, he's very good at uh, fielding balls, and then any time he's over at first base, he's been able to use his athleticism to keep balls within the window of his 6-5 frame and make sure that he can come down with the baseball and uh, get that out, whether it's tagging out the runner or uh, picking a ball across the diamond that comes in the dirt. He's done a really nice job of that. He's stolen a few bags to that 6-5, 235-pound frame, and then at the plate, he's got great strength, and he's got a smooth swing as well. He's starting to become more confident as well. So those two guys with the offense that the Lugnuts possess and the fact that they've showed us spurts where they're collecting, you know, 12 to 16 hits per game, and they're able to score double-digit runs, and they're able to flex their muscles now with 20 home runs on the season. Jake Broat and Nick Podkul just add depth to that offensive lineup, and that's what makes this team dangerous as this season continues on in May. Find Adam Jaxa on Twitter at Adam Jaxa. That last name is J-A-K-S-A. You'll see all the interviews that he posts that he's doing with the Lansing Lugnuts. You can listen into the broadcasts. Adam and I have the call of Lansing Lugnuts games all season long, although this weekend they'll be the Lansing Locos as they battle the Boyd Snappers in Copa de la Diversión. Adam, thank you very much. Vamos, Locos! And from Adam Jackson, we wrap up the show. You can ask me any questions that you have, especially with the different things that I've laid out, trying to take you behind the curtain and let you know, here's what's going on in the system. Here's what we know about. Here's what we don't know about. Here's what we can and can't talk about as we let you know what's happening with the different affiliates. And thanks to Scott McArthur, also his thoughts at the major league level. Well, coming up, how about this? You know I like to end each show with a conversation, an interview. I promised you a conversation with Jordan Groshans. I just sat down with him yesterday, and we talked about offense, fielding, base running, more, his route to get here, how he built his swing, what else he enjoys. Get to know the Blue Jays' 2018 first-rounder. This is Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, joined by Lansing Lugnut shortstop Jordan Groshans. Jordan, I was reading back in the day for you what it took for you to get onto the club team back home, what it took for you in high school ball. How much work did you put in first back when you were, let's say, trying to make that club team? A lot. You know, it was, it was tough. You know, you're playing with the best guys around, so it's not, nothing's given to you or anything. So me and my dad and my brother just went to work, you know, every day, every night, just trying to get better. So, Was there an off season where you said to yourself, I'm good. I'm good at baseball right now. Uh, no, actually. Um, 
no matter what numbers or anything I do, it's, there's always room to get better, you know. So there's always one guy across the street that wants it more than you do. So well, For you, you've got your older brother who yep. wants it so much, too. For you and your family, how important is baseball? It's big, you know. It's, it's a big part of our lives. At the end of the day, we're still a family, you know. Nothing's going to change that. Not a sport, nothing. So we just, we've been, the way we're raised is to have fun with the game, respect the game, and then try and play it as long as you can, you know. So. Did you pitch to your brother growing up, or did he pitch to you? No, no. My, my dad actually did all that, you know, out in the backyard. He, he built us a cage after work, come home. Doesn't matter what time it was, he'd take us out there and go hit. So I know that's something that, that went a long way and still does. So. Is there something that he told you with regard to hitting that has really stuck with you? Just stay consistent, you know, don't, if you're going through a slump or if you're going really good, don't change anything, you know, stick to your swing, stick to your ability, trust it, so if things start to go south, you know, just relax, stick to your approach and then keep doing what you've been doing that got you here, so. Was there a time in high school or playing club ball where you started to slump and you thought about that? Uh, yeah, last year, you know, I was, I was doing really well, um, sat out for about two weeks. And I came back and I started to struggle really bad and I was questioning my swing. I was like, man, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Try to change something. And I just called my dad one night and he was like, dude, you, you got here for a reason. Do what you're doing. So just go back to the basics. Do what got you here and just relax and, and go back to what you're doing. So. About stick to your swing. How did you find your swing? My dad built it from the ground up. So me and my brother. So um, ever since we were kids, I've had the same swing, same approach, same everything. Have you always been able to use the opposite field? Um, that was something I struggled with when I was younger. I was I was a big pull guy. And then once I got to pro ball and started facing higher velocities, more pitches, stuff like that, I learned to use that side of the field a lot better. Um, so now that's something that I really try and try and use a lot as the opposite field. I mean, there's swing, but there's also pitch recognition. Yeah. How's your pitch recognition come along? Uh, a long way. You know, last year is something I struggled with. Um, I just swung at everything. But now that I'm here and there's guys that are college guys, a lot older than I am, that they know how to paint the zone, throw pitches that, that you can't hit, you know, good pitchers' pitches. But just knowing what, what you want, what you want to hit, what you don't want to hit is, is big for me. So, How well do you understand the pitcher's plan of attack against you? Uh, pretty well. You know, we have scouting reports. We have all that stuff. Um, but for me, it starts in on-deck circle. You know, what do you throw the two guys before me? Uh, what is like throwing certain counts, stuff like that. What's his better pitch? Is is that pitch on that night? Stuff like that. It'll, it's all it's a lot. So. Are you seeing pitchers change the way that they're pitching you? Uh, here and there, you know, I've started to see a lot more off-speed pitches. So for me, it's just it's it's really simple. Just eliminate the pitches that you don't want to swing at. So if I'm up there and it's a fastball, curveball, changeup guy. If I if I want a fastball, I'm gonna cancel out a changeup and curveball. It doesn't matter. I'm not gonna swing at it. I'm gonna wait for the fastball and jump on it. So. It's been a lot of talk about offense. Let's talk base running, because I found an interview with you where you saw, talked about how much you were working on your foot speed. How's your foot speed feeling? Uh, it feels good right now. Um, the biggest thing I'm working on is, is confidence on the base paths, you know, just having that urge to steal second, steal third, stuff like that. Um, I haven't had a lot of learning along that point with base running because I've never really done it. So this year, uh, Dave Pan, our first base coach in Dallas, they've been really really keep me on uh, early work, working with me on just getting that confidence to steal second, so uh, steal third, all that. So right now we're just working on, we're going with dirt ball reads first, you know, so just taking advantage of that, get yourself in scoring position, and then once we get there, we'll, we'll work to a stolen bag. You got a dirt ball read. They gave you a stolen base yeah. in Bowling Green. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, 
I was really pumped about that. You know, it was, it was good because it got me in scoring position, and DJ came up clutch with a big hit to score me. So it's just little stuff like that that people take for granted sometimes that that's how important those bags are. It's 60 feet, 90 feet, whatever it is. You get that bag, you're in scoring position now. Change the ball game. So let's say you get to first base. What are you looking for? Dirt ball re, baby. That's what I'm. <laughs> that's, what I'm that's what I'm looking for. Um, how quickly can you pick it up? Right out of his hand. You know, that's what we work on is is not waiting until it hits the dirt. Uh, reading the flight of the pitch, the level of pitch, stuff like that. Especially like what pitch it is. You know, um, it's harder to do it on fastballs. But basically, what we do is Pano is unbelievable at knowing what's coming and what counts. So. Say it's a one-two count, uh, Kirk is up, big hitter, I'm on first, most likely a curveball is coming, so I'll get a bigger primary lead and then advance on my secondary, and once I see it, I'll just hand it to breaking ball and it's down in the dirt and just take off. So Let's talk defense now. Yeah. Facets of the game, is there something defensively that you really worked on? Uh, just working on my footwork, and, and I'm a bigger guy at short. A lot of people think I'm going to go to third, and I want to try and stay there as long as I can. So basically just, just getting low, you know, I'm a big guy. I can't lean over at the waist. i got to get down on my legs. So that's one thing we've been working on is getting down, working through the ball, and working everything towards first base. Something watching you working with Dallas McPherson, he too, power-hitting infielder, yep. worked his way from the Midwest League to the major leagues. What's it like working with Dallas? It's great. You know, we have a good relationship. I trust him and, and everything he teaches me. So, And it's it's 100% helped me along the way. So I'm, I'm become a better player since I've been here in a person. So... I couldn't thank him more for that. We've seen you make the strong throw this year. Was there a throw you made earlier in your career that really stood out? Um, I would say playoffs my senior year. Um, my buddy Cody Wagner is in center field. Big playoff game, runner on first, tie ball game. Uh, big situation, kid hits the ball in the gap with two outs. And I'm like deep left center for the cut. He throws it to me and I throw him out at home to like save the run. Um, that was probably the highlight. That was probably the best one. So You said you were working on growing yourself as a person, too, with Dallas. Yeah. What areas? Just maturity. You know, um, it's I'm 19 years old. There's guys that are 23, 24 years old out here. Um, nobody's perfect, you know. So basically for me, it's just if I'm hitting 340 or 240 or 400, whatever it is, just keep the same attitude, mindset, you know, be the best teammate that I can be. Um, and even though I'm young, 19, carrying myself like I'm a 23, 24-year-old. So. Have there been players that you met either last year or this year in the Blue Jays organization who have made a really good impact on you? Uh, Ryan Noda was one of them. Um, he was here last year. He's a good dude. Um, talked to me a lot in spring training on just how to carry myself, what and what not to do is a big one. Um, another one, probably I would say Pogkle. Nick Pogkle here. You know, he's the same guy every day, John Aiello, people like that. It doesn't matter what their stats are. They're the same person on and off the field. So um, just working with them on stuff like that, it, it, it's a big deal because I know I have high expectations of myself. Um, so it's just having them there for me is a big thing just to help me along the way. That it's, not everybody's going to hit 380, you know. So um, just it came a long way, and I can be more thankful for them. How high are your own expectations? Pretty big. You know, I'm – I'm that guy that I want to. I want to put up big numbers. I want to help the team win, and I, I think that's why I get frustrated so, so many times. Is it's not that I get out. I don't care about getting out. It's I want to put up for the team, help the team win, stuff like that. So, um, but the expectations for myself are high. You know, I've always been like that. My my dad knows that. My brother knows that. It doesn't matter who. If it's Clayton Kershaw or Verlander, you know, I want to do something big. So. And lastly, this is baseball. Besides baseball, what else are you really interested by? Fortnite. Fortnite, Apex Legends, stuff like that. 
Um, How good are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Um, not to brag, but I'm pretty good. Um, besides that, watching movies with my grandma. You know, that's something we do all the time in off season, probably twice a week. I'm a big movie guy, Avengers, all that stuff. So, Jordan, thank you. Yep, appreciate it. And with that, we close the book on another show of Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. Big thanks to Jordan Groshans of the Lansing Lugnuts this weekend, the Locos. Thanks as well to Adam Jackson, who joins me with the Lansing Lugnuts, and you got his inside word from what's going on in single A. For Jim Tarabokia with the Dunedin Blue Jays, Tyler Murray with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, Pat Malacara with the Buffalo Bisons, and Scott MacArthur reporting on the Toronto Blue Jays, I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. Here's to Hayden Godfrey posting on Bluebird Banter, helping out in all sorts of different ways to the minor leaguer as well. This has been another edition of Around the Nest at Around Nest on Twitter. And you can find the podcast and subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you. Enjoy the baseball. Until next week.